You stand, please. Today, we're uh, going to cover Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. And I'll let you get there. And when one of them that sat at meat with him and heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that they were bidden, Come, for all things are ready, are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that the servant came and chewed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring hither the poor and the maimed and halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room and the Lord said unto, his, unto the servant, Go unto the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Luke 14 to 24. To Luke's Gospel, chapter 14 continue our series in the parables today. Just want to remind everyone to be absolutely respectful of the, the church place where we're meeting. Remember, it's a school. So the things that are hanging on the wall are here put up by the school, and we're not to, to touch that uh, in any way, affect it, write on it, take anything down, whether you agree with it or whether you don't. Please be completely respectful. There are some different things around, so just ignore, you know, the sports equipment back there and other things, okay? So, um, and, and thank the Lord we're able to meet in the, in the school. You know, the, um, the schools did, were sued by the Board of Ed uh, f- to keep churches from meeting in schools, and this was like a long, ongoing court battle, and guess who won that court battle? The Board of Ed won the court battle to kick schools, the churches out of the, the schools. So why are we meeting here? Because the mayor is not uh, is saying that the school cannot enforce that that court order. But if the mayor decides to change his mind, or we get another mayor who does want to enforce that, then we would have to leave. So it's that it's it's that tenuous. So let's just keep that. That's a matter of continuous prayer. Every time we sign, just to let you know, we sign rental agreements like three months at a time. That's it, three months at a time. 
And each one says that the rental agreement can be terminated at any time. So we could get a call any time during the week. You're not meeting here any longer. I mean, that's, that's how this thing goes. So, uh, so we're thankful every time. Every time those doors are open, just say, thank God the door's open today. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, and also, just in that, uh, in that vein, please be kind and respectful and friendly to the security guards who come in and who sit there. And remember that that desk is their, their property or it's their, their space. So, you know, if, if they're sitting there or if they're not sitting there, it's, you cannot go to that desk. You cannot take or touch anything on that desk. It's, it's their property. It's their space. So let's, let's be respectful and, and be friendly to our security guards, you know, and ask them their name and be friendly and pray for them. And uh, be, be kind to, as well, the, the custodial people, the custodial help here. We become friends with them. And they, and they become somebody that we get, we get close to, actually, at times. So, so these are opportunities for us to get to know people, uh, be a witness to people, and share Christ's love. Because that, that's why we're here. Okay, so today, Luke chapter 14. An invitation to God's great supper is the message this morning. And I would like to just read with you, if you could go to verse 17. The passage was already read, but we'll just look at one verse, and then we'll pray as we begin the message today. Luke chapter 14, verse 17. If you have it and you want to read it aloud with me, please join. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. Come, for all things are now ready. That's good news, isn't it? I like the sound of that. Dinner time is a good time. I remember when I was hungry and my mom would say, come on, dinner's ready. Well, the king of the universe is saying, come to my table and eat. Everything's ready for you to come. Let's pray as we begin. Now, Lord, please take this moment of time, encourage our hearts that every soul would want to lovingly, enthusiastically say, yes, Lord, I'm going to come and I'll be there. And so, Lord, bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So the message today is an invitation to God's great supper. This is the invitation to the supper in God's kingdom. And so this morning we want to look at that. And we said last week that Luke 14, the theme of Luke 14 is discipleship. And Jesus is sitting at the dinner table with a group of Pharisees. And he's having this long conversation with them throughout Luke chapter 14. And perhaps even going into Luke 15. It could be all taking place at the same time. And at the end of Luke 14 is really what we're saying, the theme of this chapter where Jesus said three times, if you don't fulfill this condition, you cannot be my disciple. He says it not once, three times. To shake us up and wake us up. You cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. And so, last week we talked about how a true disciple makes every moment count for eternity. And tonight, today we want to see how A true disciple is going to answer the call to come to his kingdom and won't make any excuse to keep him back. A true disciple of Jesus Christ. So here's Jesus at the dinner table. 
but he's flashing the light of the eternal upon just a common everyday moment of life. And that's what we can always do as Christians. So thinking about this message, an invitation to God's great supper. Now, imagine for just a moment, you're invited by your family to a big supper. I mean, your grandparents are hosting the supper. Just imagine, if your family isn't as it's structured as I'm going to break it down, just imagine that it was, okay? You have grandparents, and you have, you have siblings, and you have cousins, and you have nieces and nephews, and your grandparents have called you before this great supper that they're preparing, and they've invited you. And you said, are you coming or not? Of course I'm going to come, Grandma and Grandpa. I'll be with all my brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews. I definitely want to be there. I will be there. So the morning of the Great Supper, Grandpa calls. And he, he says to you, I, I just want to make sure you're coming because I am so excited to have your presence in my home with, with all of our family. And... I'm, not, I'm so excited about this supper today, Grandpa tells you. But then you say, oh, Gramps, I'm sorry, but I, I can't come. And he said, you what? You can't come? How, how come you can't come? And you say, because I just bought a new car. And I want to test drive it. And I want to learn how to, to make sure I know the little nuances of this car. I want to learn how to put on the heat and the air conditioning, and how to put the windows up and down, and, and make the sunroof go, you know. So I, I, I need to test drive my car, Grandpa. Oh. Now, what is Grandpa going to think? What is Grandpa going to think about that excuse? Yeah. <laughs> do you have to actually do that that day to miss this very special event? Is that something that has to be done that day? Yes or no? No. No. Absolutely not. And so it's a trivial excuse. So how's grandpa going to interpret that? That you really what? You don't want to be there. Because you could be there if you really wanted to be there. Okay, that's what this story is about right there. This is talking about an invitation to the greatest supper in the history of the universe. God himself is setting the table and preparing the feast. And he calls everyone to the feast. This will be the ultimate joy in life, to celebrate this moment. Now, dear friends, before me right here is a tray with... Some, you can argue whether it's bread or not, the way it is, but some juice and a wafer. This is a great supper. This is a great supper. Now, it's not as great as the supper that we're going to have in the kingdom one day. And it's not great because the food tastes so great. But it's great because of who we remember while we eat the supper. And you are invited to this supper as well. But you must accept the invitation. You must be saved. You must be born again to eat of this supper that we will have at the end of our service today.
And then, after you're saved, you must then commit to following Jesus Christ. And the first step of that commitment of faith is to become baptized. And so, to be baptized first is important before taking the supper. Now you say, well, I'm not saved today. Well, then you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. Or I'm not baptized today. Then you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. Because, just think about it, there's two ordinances. If you've not done the first one, should you do the second one? (laughs) And baptism was the first one. All the disciples who took the Lord's Supper had first been baptized. They didn't take the Lord's Supper first and then get baptized. There's an order here. And that's the best order. Now, if you can't take the Lord's Supper today, accept the invitation. Because guess what? Next month, the first Sunday of the month, we'll have the Lord's Supper. We want you to take it. If you want to get baptized, we'll work it out. Well, I'll try to work out a way. We'll go to a cold creek somewhere and, and baptize you. You know, every once in a while, you see the polar bear club? I mean, they, they get baptized. If there's any polar bears here, you, I, we, we'll work it out. But you're invited. Jesus said that in the kingdom of God, many will come from the east and from the west and will sit down. You know who we're going to sit down with? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Can you imagine sitting at the same table with the patriarchs and the prophets and the apostles? It's going to be incredible. What a supper. You don't want to miss it. So today I want to speak to you about an invitation to this great supper and how a true disciple must realize these three things. We're just going to break down this parable beginning at verse number 15 and and walk right through it a little bit and see three things that a true disciple must realize about this great invitation to this great supper. And the first thing we have to realize is the readiness of our God, the readiness of our God to receive us. He offers the invitation, and notice as as the invitation goes out, in verse number 15, he said, uh, I'm sorry, verse 16, he said to them, a certain man made a great feast, and he bade, that's invited, he invited many. So the invitation went out. And when the invitation went out, the invitation was accepted by many. Many were invited And many were accepted. And that's how we have to read this in the little parable I gave you earlier. You were invited and you were accepted. And that's what's going on here. Many had been invited. And then the great day of the feast comes. And then the expectation is that they will be there. So the invitations are sent out. And many are invited. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is seen calling everyone to come. Wisdom cries at the gates. At the gates is everyone coming and going out of the city. Wisdom is crying. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. So when he says here, he invited many. You can read that, everyone who this person came upon, he invited. He invited as many as he possibly could. There was no distinction as to who was invited. And beloved, God loves the world. And whosoever is invited to his great supper.
many are invited, and many actually verbally accept that invitation. But then the time comes when everything is ready. And notice, what an amazing statement. Come, for all things are now ready. And that's a command. Now he says, okay, you've been invited. Now's the time to come. Now's the time to pull the trigger. This is it. It's coming to the supper time. And you know, we need to come to Jesus. Don't we need Jesus? This world needs Jesus Christ because only life is in Jesus Christ for the death that we will all die. Only in forgiveness is Jesus Christ for the cleansing we all need. Only peace is in Jesus Christ for the despair we all sometimes endure. Only strength is in Jesus Christ for the strength for the weakness that we feel. Only love is in Jesus Christ for the guilt we sometimes all have. Come to Jesus. The prophet said, come, buy, eat without money, without price. How much is this meal going to cost you? It's free. What do you accept? If you were invited to the home of the mayor, the governor, the president, it really doesn't matter who's in office at the time, but just out of respect of the office, we would all say, I will go. I would love to have a meal with the mayor, the governor, or the president of the United States. And I'm not going to make, I will clear my calendar. The decks are clear for me to do that. Come, and it won't cost you a penny. All things are now ready. And that points us to Jesus Christ. Come, for Jesus Christ himself has made everything ready. He has died on the cross for our sins. He has risen again. He is coming soon. He is seated at the Father's right hand. He is ready to come, and we need to be ready because the perfect work of redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ has been accomplished. He said it is finished, and all things are complete, and there's nothing for you to do but to come by faith. Will you do it? The readiness. God is ready. For you to come today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. But next we see in this parable the foolishness of man to reject that invitation. The foolishness of man stands up to the readiness of God. Because it says in verse 18, they all with one consent begin to make excuse. Excuse. Now, we, again, we have to realize this, that the excuse comes after the invitation has been given and accepted. Now they're excusing themselves out of the invitation that they had indicated they would accept. Listen, all of us born in sin and shapen in iniquity, because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, All of us can potentially make foolish excuses. All of us, if we're not careful, can also make insincere professions of faith. Do you know how many people have professed faith in Christ, but don't truly possess salvation? How many people have gone to maybe some form of evangelistic meeting and responded to a gospel invitation and maybe said a prayer with their lips, but they never called upon the Lord from their what? 
heart. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say you have to walk an aisle to be saved. It doesn't say you get baptized to be saved. It doesn't say the word of God does not say you take the Lord's Supper to be saved. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. And believe that God has raised him from the dead. And we must believe from the inner man a saving faith. It was pointed out to me, remember my pastor preaching, and he said there's three kinds of faith. There's a demonic faith, the devil believes. There's a dead faith. And there's a dynamic faith or a saving faith. Do you have that saving faith? That's what we're saying today. Man is more prone to make an excuse than to what? Believe. Man is more prone to run from God as Adam and Eve ran from God in the Garden of Eden. Man is more prone to run from God than to believe. We're sinners born in sin. We have to know our nature. We have to understand our human weakness and depravity. We are called to experience the infinite love of God and to, to, to come to His table and to be, be in, with Him in His kingdom. We are created for his, to, to live for His glory and created in His image. And yet we are all prone to make excuses to do what we want to do. Man is an excuse-making machine. Boy, and people will do all kinds of things too, won't they, in the city? The other, uh, over Thanksgiving, when my family was here, somebody said, oh, let, oh, it was actually last Sunday. We were going to go to Katz's Deli. We went to Katz's Deli, that world-famous best pastrami sandwich in the world. Too many people know about that pastrami sandwich, though. That's the problem. When we went to Katz's Deli, there was, there was a line outside. And you ever go inside? The line could be brutal if it's just inside, you know? And so... We, we, of course, didn't do it. But people will stand in line for a pastrami sandwich. But they'll say, go to church? What are you, nuts? What a waste of time. Now, these excuses that are made are, they kind of summarize almost any excuse you can make in some kind of ways. But what's interesting about these excuses, and we'll take them one at a time briefly, is that a past tense is given. In other words, like in the f- first excuse, he says, I bought a piece of ground. In other words, that's done. I did it. It's, I bought it. It's mine. That ground is mine. A past tense is used. But then he says, because of the past, it's affecting my present decision right now. And so the present is, I now have to go and see it. So it's the past affecting the present. So whatever is in your past, don't let it keep you in the present from seeking Jesus Christ. Nothing you've done in your past should or has to keep you from seeking first the kingdom of God. So what are these excuses? The first excuse is the excuse of possessions. And the flimsy excuse, I just read it, is I bought a piece of ground. And now, notice, 
I must. I just got to. I, I just I just got to. Oh, oh, I bought the new house. I bought a new house. Somebody bought a new house. And she's in church today. Look you. She's not, oh, I have to enjoy my house. You know, I have to clean the bathroom. I've got to, got to clean the, scrub the tub or whatever, you know. I can't go to church. i got to clean under the sink. Make sure my new house is all crystal clean. No. You bought a new house. Praise God. It'll be there after church. Your house isn't going anywhere. Notice, like, I bought a piece of ground. I must need to go and see it. It's like, what's going to happen if you don't go and see it? Is it going to sink? What's going to happen to your ground? Is it going to be like, is it going to like disappear? Is it going to burn up? Well, if it burns up, you don't want to be there. (laughs) You'd rather be at the meal. You'd rather be enjoying that good supper. What's going to happen to that ground if you don't go? Is somebody going to steal it? What's his real reason why he doesn't want to go to this supper? He doesn't want to. And you know, here's the thing about possessions. Possessions can control us with like a consuming obsession. Possessions can become obsessions. And when we get obsessed about our possessions, they can take our mind and our focus off of the Lord. Now, do people get obsessed about stuff? Oh, young people today are a bit obsessed and all of us can get a bit obsessed. Oh, I just got a new cell phone. Oh, I got to figure out the new technology. I want to look at TikTok. I got to make up my TikTok thing. TikTok's destroying our culture, by the way. A lot of the social media is destroying our young people's ability to relate and have real... Rela- social media is antisocial. If, if that's all you do, get off it and start talking to look at somebody in the face and start learning how to communicate and look at them in the eye. And talk to them and smile and laugh and pray. Do not allow your possessions to become obsessions. Because he says, I must. i got to do this. That's an obsession. What the man could have said was, an invitation? I just bought this land. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Because I want my land to bring forth fruit. And I want to be with people who love and fear God and who know how to pray. And I'm going to go to this supper and I'm going to ask them to pray for my land that it will bring forth not tenfold fruit, but a hundredfold. So it's perfect timing, really, if he was thinking about it. That God would protect his, that possession. That there would be no fire, theft, or danger come upon it. The second excuse, not only is possessions, but is, it's occupation. And this guy says, I just bought five yoke of oxen. And I, I go to prove them. So here, it's his occupation. Now, again, if this man bought, if he was going to, if you're going to put your money down to buy five yoke of oxen, what are you going to do before you buy the oxen? You're going to look at them? You're going to punch them a bit? You're going to like, See if they're strong. See if they're sturdy. You're going to test them already. You're not going to test them after you buy them. So again, this is a flimsy excuse. You know what an excuse is? Excuse is a reason stuff with a lie. An excuse is really a lie. These excuses weren't excuses. They were lies. 
They were, do you know what people want? Ultimately, what do people do? Exactly what they want to do, no more, no less. If you want to do something, you know what you're going to do? Find the time to do it. If you want to do something, you're going to find the time to do it. That's, that's the way we are. So this person, again, was consumed with his work. He was like a workaholic. He couldn't break away from his work for even to have a good meal. you got to eat anyway, right? Why don't you come and eat the best meal you're going to have in your whole life? This king has made a great supper. Come and enjoy that meal. And then your oxen, if they're going to get sick, they're going to get sick. But you'll have plenty of time to prove them. So, again, this would be like buying a car without test driving it. I mentioned buying a home. Before you buy a home, you're going to do a walkthrough. You're going to get an inspection. You you buy a home. You have to get it inspected. You you do all these things. So this this is just reason stuff with a lie. I, I, I have to go and prove it. What this man should have said, an invitation to supper, and I've just bought five yoke of oxen. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Because I want to go to the supper. I want to be with that great master. I want to be with godly people who fear God, who know how to pray. And I want to ask them to pray for my five yoke of oxen that they do the work of ten yoke of oxen. You know, I, My oxen need prayers. So I want to go someplace where I know my oxen can get prayer so I, they can be, do good work for, for my business. You know, let people in church know what your prayer needs are. And that's why we're here. We're here to pray for you, encourage you. The third excuse, now watch this. Watch this happy guy up there. Okay. That was like the best piece of cake I ever ate. How in the world did I ever get such a woman? I'll still ask myself that every day. But this guy, now, this is the worst of the excuses. My wife, she's not listening to me. Uh, no, I mean, I didn't mean to say that she doesn't listen to me. My wife listens to me. a very godly and good wife. But, right, well, maybe she's on, she's listening to it on, on YouTube. Maybe. Anyway, this person says, I have married a wife. This is the best excuse yet. And therefore... I cannot come. Whoa, this man is a fool. So you married a wife and she's going to tell you what to do? Huh? I can't come? What, she won't let you out of the house? (laughs) You cannot come? And he actually uses the word power. Dunamis. I cannot, I do not have the power to come. Now, there's a verse that contradicts that, because notice what he said. He, he doesn't say, I don't think I should come. What does he say? I cannot come. What, what verse contradicts that? You, know all, you all know the verse. Philippians 4.13. Does it say, I cannot? No, it says, I can do all things. You've been invited to supper? I can come through the strength of Jesus Christ. He's basically saying, I don't have the power to come. 
but sir, aren't you the head of your home? So you married a wife. I believe she'd enjoy that supper, don't you? I think she might like a date. I think she would enjoy being around other people. And I think she would enjoy if you let her get her hair fixed up and you showing off your wife a little bit, you know? And put her in a place where she could, a situation where she could feel beautiful about herself. A man should do that with his wife. Now and then, right? Amen? I'm just kidding a little. Doesn't, wouldn't a new wife like to get all dressed up and go out and have a nice meal? I mean, why did he say I cannot come? Did you even ask her? I mean, come on. There's so many ways to look at this and get down on this excuse. But this man, again, what should he have said? What did the other two could have said? Perfect timing. Perfect timing. I just married a new wife. What better thing to do than to take her out to a meal like this? This is great. And my marriage needs what? I want to be around godly people who fear God, who know how to pray. I'm in the marriage. I know one thing. My pastor always told me this. It's easier to get married than stay married. That's what this pastor tells everybody, by the way. (laughs) It's a whole lot easier to get married than stay married. And so I need prayer in my marriage. Perfect timing. So, but people are controlled by their circumstance. He says, I cannot do it. I'm being controlled by this affection. Other people are obsessed. Other people are just consumed with work. So what's your excuse? We should be obsessed with God. We should be consumed with God. We should have a passion and love to put God first. It's so easy to put our obligations first before God. So do not let what you have done in the past, because each one of those is a past tense. This is what I did, and now because of what I did, this is what I have to do. I bought a piece of ground in the past, and because of that, I have to go see it. I bought the oxen in the past, because of that, I can't go, I have to go and prove them. I got married, I've been married in the past, and so now I cannot do this in the present. The past, in each situation, watch this now, the past was affecting their present responsibility to love and live for Jesus Christ. That's our te- th- this is our problem. I believe the Word of God is really dealing specifically with something that we all have to truly deal with. Now, were these good excuses? You may convince yourself. Do you think these guys... Let me ask you this. We we know they weren't good excuses because they weren't yours. But if they were your excuse, do you think they thought their excuse was valid? Maybe they were deceived. Let's just assume that they thought. Oh, this is a good excuse. I'm going to say, this is a... But they were deceived. But now, when the servant goes back and tells the master, and the master is a picture of who in the parable? It's a parable. Who's the master in real life? It's God. It's God. Did he say, oh, I understand why they can't come. Those are pretty good reasons. Okay, well, let's just keep inviting more people. What was his response? 
It says it in verse number 21. He was what? He was angry. He was angry. So, beloved, that is God. Excuses like this where you put yourself first when we have been created to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. These excuses make God angry and these excuses are nothing but lies. Will you believe on Jesus Christ? Will you come to him? And there are so many excuses and I won't take time to talk about all of these. Of some people, I'm just not interested. I'd rather do other things. I, I'm not good enough. Some people may say, I'm not good enough. Or somebody might say, I'm already good enough. I'm better than most of the Christians I know. Or I can never be good enough. Some people are just so, so filled of, with guilt because of their, their life and shame that they feel they can't. <clears throat> it's not about whether you think you're good or whether you think you're not good. We need Jesus Christ for all of us, our sinners, and only his goodness can save us. Only the righteousness of Jesus Christ can save us. Only the forgiveness of sins we have through Jesus Christ can save us. Some people say, I, I can't do that. I can't serve God. It's too hard. I can't, I can't keep all those commands. You know what? It is hard. But it's possible when we trust the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we can't do it in our flesh. We cannot live the Christian life in the flesh. That is true. But we weren't meant to live the Christian life in the flesh. God will give you his Holy Spirit and he will give you strength to love him, learn of him, read the word of God, and, and delight yourself in the Lord. And other, I just don't have the time. You don't know how busy I am, but you have time to sleep, right? That's eight hours right there. You have time to eat. How many times a day? We, we do that, of course. We have to take care of our body. But you have a soul to take care of as well. So he's, well, I just don't feel. I just don't have the feeling. But thank God we're not saved by our feelings, amen? We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And some people say, well, I just can't believe the Bible. That's because you're listening to Bill Maher or something. I mean, I saw a clip. I'm just going to talk, talk about this for a second. You got a, you got a minute? while I see a clip on social media. And Bill Maher was mocking the new uh, Speaker of the House, and he said that the new Speaker of, ha- of the House could have written a foreword for the Bible, which is a book of conspiracy theories and a, of homophobic... It's a homophobic book of conspiracy theories. I get that right? Did you hear it? That's basically what he said. And he was talking on that panel with another man, was on that panel, named James Carville. How many of you know James Carville? James Carville was the head uh, campaign manager during the days of Bill Clinton and is still a talking political pundit. James Carville was talking also about the, the, uh, the Speaker of the House. I'm sorry, the Speaker of the House, who's a Southern Baptist who, quite frankly, you know, I, I, I don't know his faith. I don't know him. I just know he's a Southern Baptist, okay? And I'm generally more conservative than even, even Southern Baptists, all right? So I, I don't know his positions or everything. But he seems like a decent person. But James Carville then was saying, these Christian nationalists, 
They're more dangerous than Al-Qaeda. Now, what did Al-Qaeda do to us, by the way? Oh, oh they're the ones who sh- sank the World Trade Center. And James Carville said that these Christian nationalists, you know what, you know what they believe? You know what these Christian... I don't even know what a Christian nationalist is. You know what? I do know what it is. It's a name they've given Christians to tag us and to identify us according to their hatred. Just like they, they called Baptists in the middle... In, in the 1500s, they call them Anabaptists to mock them. And they call Christians, Christians even, in the first century. That was a name given by the enemies of Christ. Not by the Christians. But now they're calling us Christian nationalists. I never even heard this term until recently. But this is what James Carville said. He said, these people, these dangerous people, they be- you know what they believe? They believe that a woman was created when God took a rib out of Adam. These people are nuts. And he said, these people are dangerous because they're Christian nationalists. Because they believe that a woman was taken from the, the rib of the man. I'm like, wow, I believe that. I guess I'm dangerous. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. They are coming after us. Eventually. They are trying to... They, there's a certain segment in the political realm that is trying to criminalize us as being dangerous like that. Because if we're more dangerous than Al-Qaeda, they could, they could possibly do something. So this is the world we're living in. A lot of people say, I just can't believe the Bible. I got off. That was definitely a doggy trail there. But I'm back on track. I just can't believe the Bible. Well, you know what? I just can't not believe it. Because everything I see happening in this world just makes me believe the Bible even more in, in a literal way. I just can't believe it because Jesus Christ is the one who loves me so much. I just cannot believe that Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross because it's testified in the scripture. It's prophesied hundreds of years before he even died. It was predicted that he would die. It was predicted that he would rise again. It was predicted that he was going to come again. It was predicted that he's going to come and set up his kingdom. Just as much as it was predicted, he He was going to die on the cross. It has been written. He's coming again. I believe that. What was predicted has already happened. And what the rest will happen, beloved. Let's believe the Bible. If we believe the Bible, we have to say yes to God's feast. Okay, quickly, the earnestness of God. So we're saying in this parable, we see three things that we have to realize about this great invitation. First of all, the readiness of God. Come, all things are ready. The readiness of God. Two, the foolishness of man and all these excuses. Three, the earnestness of God. The earnestness of God. What's the earnest passion of God here? The earnestness of God is in verse 23. What does it say at the end of verse 23? That my house may be what? Filled. That my house. That's the passion of God. You know what my passion is? God's passion I want this. I want his house filled. That's my vision for 2024. That this house will be filled by the grace of God. Why not? That this house for the name of Jesus Christ, for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the glory of his name would be filled. So let's not be discouraged. And there are four different commands in this passage. The first is, he says, go out quickly. In verse number 21, he said, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. And we're gonna, I'm going to talk more about this, but we're, in 2024, we're going to have two big outreaches where we're going to go out into the streets right in this community. 
and we want to bring the gospel right here to Greenwich Village. And we're going to make nice door hangers, and we'll do one right before Resurrection Day, and we'll do another right before VBT. That's my vision. Anyway, we'd like to do that. We'll tell you more. Go out. What great streets we have. Go out quickly, he said. In other words, there's a passion here. There's a time constraint. We don't have much time. Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. And he says to do what? He says, bring them in. Now, why does he say bring them in? Because they can't come themselves. <laughs> they cannot come. Look at the people that we're bringing in here. Okay, the ones who were initially invited aren't coming. Go and find others. So he goes out into the streets and lanes of the city and find what kind of people? Verse number 21. What kind of people? Poor. They're not gonna have, they don't have money to get there. They need financial assistance. Maybe they need help with the train or the bus. They're poor. What, what other kind of person? The maimed. That is, they, they can't work. They have no income. They, they, their, their limbs are not working properly. And then, and then some of them are halt. That is, they can't even walk. They don't have the strength to walk. And they're what? The last thing is, they're blind. They can't see how to get there. So each of these people need help getting there. You know, I thought about these different kinds of people, and I thought, you know, this is the kind of person God calls many times. Not the rich. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Didn't he say, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble hath God called or chosen? God has chosen what in this world? God has chosen the, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The foolish things, the things which are despised to confound the mighty. So, go out quickly. Bring them in. And this is local. This is, and so I, there could be a prophetic view, and I put this in your notes, there could be a prophetic emphasis to Jesus' teaching here, to the Jew first. In other words, locally, just go right into the streets and lanes of the city, mostly Jewish people. But then he says, go far. Go outside of the city. And go out, he says, into the highways and hedges. So go out universally. And tell everybody, go into the highways and the hedges. The highways are the visible areas where the nations are traveling. Now, there were, there were high, highways in, in Israel. There was a highway that ran alongside the Mediterranean Sea. There was another highway that ran uh, alongside the Jordan River, on the other side of the Jordan River. And there was traveling and trading going on from the, the Crescent Valley uh, where Babylon was, all the way down into Egypt. And the middle, and Israel was like a land bridge, a land bridge between the crescent fertile valley there by the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and, and Egypt. It was a land bridge. And so there would be all the nations of the world traveling on these highways, going to the highways, reach the nations, the Gentiles. And then the hedges. You know who's in the hedges? Maybe thieves. That you would have you go through a thief. Hey, there's gonna be a great dinner, but I'm a thief. It's okay, you're invited, but I don't think I should go. I don't think they're gonna like me there. There's somebody at that maybe what if somebody was in that dinner that I stole from? Oh, they'll forgive you. We're forgiving people. <laughs> go into the highways. The travelers, go into the hedges, the thieves. And persuade them. He says, compel them. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, no, no. I'm a shy person. I'm shy. Compel. You know what compel means? 
it doesn't mean you you handcuff them and drag them against their will. Okay, we don't do that. <laughs> but it means you lovingly persuade them. Lovingly persuade. You know, well, that's not right. You know, the, again, this world, you know what they've done to Christians? They have told us to shut up. They said, you Christians, you shut up because you are trying to proselyte other people. And that's not loving. We're not trying to proselyte anybody. We're trying to evangelize. And they put this word proselyte. You know what they're doing? They're proselytizing our children to change their gender. And meanwhile, they're telling us to shut up and don't tell them about salvation in Jesus Christ. They're, they're listening, like I mentioned, to, to Bill Maher or James Carville. The elites of our society are listening to these people. The elites of our society believe Bill Maher more than they believe the Bible. And they go on there and laugh it up with him. And meanwhile, make a total mockery of God. We must seek to win men and women to Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel. Give them the gospel. And persuade. So as I close, go, go one verse. 2 Corinthians, and then we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go out into the highways, Jesus said. By the way, I have some nice tracks back there. Candy cane tracks. They're nice little tracks. Give a gospel message, a Christmas message, that time of year. I'm sure if you give a candy cane track out with a candy cane, they'll take it. Buy a few candy canes and give out a few candy cane tracks. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 11. Can you please read it with me? It says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we do what? We persuade men. Compel them to come in. Let's stand together as we pray. So now, Lord, Help us, God, to have your vision and your passion, your earnestness, because of your readiness. Help us to put aside the foolishness of our, our excuses and to see your readiness and your earnestness. You're ready. Your house is ready to receive. The work of Jesus Christ has been accomplished. And now, Lord, you're earnest and you want your house to be filled. So I say to anyone here without Jesus Christ, dear one today, accept God's gracious invitation to come to Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith and repent and change your mind and do it now. He is ready to receive you. He is ready to save you. Is there anyone who would say, Pastor Matt, I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. If I die today, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. But I need to know and I must make sure today is the time. Is there anyone? May I see your hand? Is there anyone at all? If you need to talk to somebody, please do. And how many of you say, Pastor Matt, pray that God would give me the power to be a loving but a bold witness. We all need this. I'm putting my hand up. 
because sometimes I'm silent when I ought to speak. Let's pray for each other that we could be bold and lovingly persuade others to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ because if they don't, there's terror awaiting them. God is angry with those who make excuses, who don't enter into his house. There is a day of judgment. How many say, Pastor Matt, pray for me that God would give me that passion the passion of God, that his house will be filled, that souls will be saved. Can I see your hand? Just put it up and say, Lord, work in my life. Work in my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Give me a passion for souls, Lord Jesus. The passion you had when you said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Now, Lord, work, we pray. As we have our invitation, if you need to step out and pray over any matter, you can feel free to come. But I'm going to Um, I'm not going to ask anybody to lead the song. I'm leading it today. I forgot. Thou dost leave thy throne. Let's just sing a stanza today. Thou dost leave thy throne and our men will come for the Lord's Supper. Thou dost leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to Let's sing this last stanza because it goes with the, with the message and the passage today. When the heavens shall ring. When the heavens shall ring and the angels sing at thy calling to victory. Let thy voice call me home, saying, yet there is room, there is room at thy side for me. standing for prayer and let's just examine our hearts the bible says to examine yourself whether you be in the faith this is a time of confession of sin confess your sins let a man examine himself first and then let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Look to Jesus. See him at the Father's right hand this moment, risen, conquering, praying. But see those nail scars in his hands. Because they're there. And look unto Jesus, the author, finisher of your faith, and just tell him that you love him. Because it was his death 
that he desires that we remember above all other things. This do in remembrance of me, he said, when he established this Lord's Supper. The bread representing the crushing of the grain and his body was crushed for us. The juice, to form that juice, the grapes also had to be crushed. And he was beaten and he was crushed for us on the cross. So thank you, Lord, for your love. And now bless us. Because, Lord, you, you told us that we can come. And that's the message here today. As we think of this great supper, we are going to enjoy this supper with you and your kingdom. Because, Lord Jesus, you established this new covenant. And you even invite us as Gentiles into this covenant. And so we say, yes, Lord. We accept this invitation and we eat today anticipating eating with you in your kingdom one day. And blessed is he that will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, that we're going to eat this bread with you one day. This is just a foretaste of what we're going to experience in your presence. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay.